Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Look, this is, again, we're reaching a day where we get to honor and honor and honor all of those that have come before, that have made this land a safe place for all of us. And one of the organizations that has been out front throughout COVID-19, throughout the pandemic, has been on the front lines, is the American Legion. uh, And what I want to say is, the National American Legion. Being a kid that grew up in the Bronx, I know quite a bit about the American Legion, and I, I marched in a few of those parades. Um, but here today, Commander Bill Oxford is joining us. He continues to lead the nation's largest vet- veterans organization. But today is a special, very special message. And there are symbols we want you to recognize, and we, we, we hope you will honor, because we are talking about addressing things that are so near and dear to many of us, especially somebody like me, who has a family of people that have served in the military. Commander, it's great to have you here. And this is a powerful message today. And I want to talk about the message that we need to address some of the issues that you all are focusing on. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Dr. Pat. It's an honor and privilege to be here and uh, represent the three million members of our American Legion family. You and uh, for as long as I can remember, and I go back a lot of years, uh, you know, my family, um, folks in my family have served, both men and women have served. So American Legion is not a foreign name to, to me, but you all have done much more than people know. And that's what I want to talk about today. You know, talk about what are the leading issues for you that are out there and what you're taking on right now and need some legislation to get put in place. Well, thanks, thanks, Dr. Pat. That's a, that's a great lead in. Uh, we are constantly looking and evaluating and processing uh, the needs for veterans' rights and benefits. Uh, some of the some of the priorities right now uh, that we're looking at, uh, and we 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 had a great relationship with the previous administration, the previous VA. Yep. And we're we're in the process of developing uh, those relationships now with the current uh, administration and the current uh, Congress. But uh, veteran suicide is is one of those priorities that we're. It's a it's just a current crisis. Uh, we still have uh, 20 veterans a day taking their own lives, uh, and we we continue to look at and evaluate and process a system uh, to address and and eliminate or reduce that 20 veterans a day. Uh, we we are uh, always looking at ways uh, to address that issue because there's so many things that affect that. It might be homelessness, it might be financial, it might be medical, it might be legal, it might be personal. 
but all of those things, uh, and, and you uh, in your profession understand that, but it's, it's just a way we need to continue to address and uh, make sure we look at ways to reduce or eliminate uh, veteran suicide. Another one of those things on the, uh, the horizon is visas uh, for the uh, interpreters who have helped and assisted us in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, those, uh, those heroes in their country are, are facing significant issues and dangers now. And uh, if we have a way that we can help or address, uh, if they want to come to the United States, we need to uh, make sure those uh, those visas are uh, put on the face track and they get the opportunity to uh, to uh, survive those dangers. Yeah, I, I want to just stop for a minute because, you know, one of the things I want to make sure that folks know is that a lot of the things you're talking about, we pretty much take for granted. We already think there's so much being done. And I've worked with the VA here. Um, I've worked with Congress people here in the past. And what I've learned, Commander, is that the public does not know what it does not know about what we're pretty much fighting for, for, you know, our service people. Well, I think that's uh, that's part of, of our mission. Uh, we've got to provide the focus and the, the visibility of these issues and continue to address them. Uh, we 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 uh, have our abilities to address Congress and the administration specifically, but you're right. Many people don't understand and see those efforts and uh, realize the issues that might be facing uh, veterans today. Mm. You know, I want to ask you this question. I want to talk about some of these other things because, you know, I know on the outside, I know what has been going on with trying to encourage Americans, uh, especially military, especially ex-military, you know, to have a conversation about the vaccination uh, and what the effect of COVID-19 has been. Can you please talk to the point about how COVID-19 has affected abilities for us to get things like harmful effects of toxic exposures and things like that that have really hurt our veterans. You know, how has COVID-19 either helped raise awareness to the issues and also more importantly, you know, lay down a foundation to say, wait a minute, you've got to take care of these folks. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, I'd like to let everybody know I've had my vaccines, and, and the Legion uh, supports uh, those vaccines. Uh, it's been it's proven that the vaccine saved lives, so we would uh, we would encourage every veteran and every member of society uh, to uh, consider those vaccines. If we think about uh, and last year, uh, the American Legion uh, was not able to do many things. We had many cancellations, events that were did not happen, but this year, we're starting to see a lot of things come back. Uh, I think we've seen uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. Things are improving. Uh, we still got Legion posts out there doing great things. And in fact, we've, we've had Legion posts uh, that have uh, become vaccination sites and uh, also provided uh, uh, space for the VA to operate. So uh, we, are, we are still there. And uh, the, the COVID pandemic has caused some issues. But the vaccine has uh, provided some hope. So we would encourage everybody to get the vaccine. You know, there are so many more things that I want us to talk about here today. Um, let's talk about Afghanistan and Iraq for a minute, if we could. You know, this sure. is something that's in the headlines. But I want to talk about this for a minute 
from the perspective of where you stand? Because we don't hear from folks like you, Commander. Can you talk to that? Well, uh, let me let me start out by saying uh, the the American Legion is absolutely, totally, one hundred percent in favor of eradicating terrorism. Uh, but uh, we, our intent uh, was to uh, provide the support for country to set up their own military and infrastructure. If America's threatened, we need to respond as strongly yep. as possible. Yep. But we've also got to realize we've been in, in these forever wars for many years. We've got people fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq who were born after 9-11. Yeah. So that, that uh, gives us an idea about our original objectives. We need to uh, remove terrorist regimes, but it's time to end those forever wars and bring those uh, servicemen and women home. You know, this really brings me to another thing that is very near and dear to me, and that is support for our veterans. And I want to talk about what kind of support we're putting on the table here and what we need to have in front of us to really make sure that our veterans are taken care of for life. Um, How do we take care of things like I've lost people close to me from mental illness that have served? Um, how do we get this? I don't even want to say handled, but it is something that is so important and it doesn't get enough press time. I I think you're, you're correct. Uh, the, uh, the VA is, is the best uh, medical care that we have out there. Now, do they, uh, we, we encourage the VA to provide, uh, the medical and uh, mental, uh, health benefits that they, that veterans need. So we just, we've got to make sure the VA is aware of those issues and uh, continue to support fully funding uh, the VA as far as uh, those uh, medical and mental health issues are concerned. Now, look, you all are doing a lot and people are going to want to know more. Um, I still have a couple of other things to talk with you about, but before we keep rolling here, I want to make sure that folks know if you're listening to this and you have people that might be saying, I want to be part of that. I want to know more about, you know, what the commander is talking about. Where can they go for that information, commander? Well, Dr. Pat, the best place to do that is your local Legion post. Uh, we've got 13,000 uh, posts across the world. Uh, your local town or community uh, normally has a legion post, so uh, start at your local legion post. Uh, if that doesn't work, then uh, every department has a website. And if that doesn't work, then the national website at legion.org is on the World Wide Web. Uh, we're also out there on Facebook, Twitter, and the other social media sites. So uh, check us out. Uh, a lot of information out there. Okay. You know, and but, but by the way, just type it into search and a lot of things will come up. Um, look, there are many things associated with um, veterans, you know, everything from poppies to the 100 miles for hope. I want to talk about the 100 miles for hope because I don't think folks know about that. Okay. Uh, we, uh, we created the 100 miles for hope challenge last year, uh, and it was a way uh, to encourage uh, members of the Legion family uh, to get outside, get some exercise, some fresh air, maybe get a little bit healthier, maybe lose a little weight. But it was a way to uh, to get people uh, out from under uh, the COVID pandemic. And it was just a, uh, the, the idea was to go out and do 100 miles over a period of about three months and uh, get a little bit healthier. But uh, one of the one of 
of the other benefits of that, we, we raised some money for our Veterans and Children's Foundation. Our Veterans and Children's Foundation funds a lot of the activities that, that we support. Our Temporary Financial Assistance Fund, our National Emergency Fund, Training Service Officers, and uh, some some other things. But uh, the 100-mile fruit challenge, uh, it was a win-win. Uh, get the members of our family outside for some exercise and raise some money for our Veterans and Children's Foundation. You know, I know this time is short with us, and Commander, I, I want to really just turn the microphone over to you right now just to make sure that we know what the real issues are. What else did, what did we not talk about that you'd like to mention? Well, I would, uh, I would encourage every veteran, uh, every veteran to join a veteran service organization. Uh, it helps, it helps you help us help you. And uh, joining the veteran service organization, uh, get your voice counted. It gives us the opportunity to help you. And uh, we'd love and encourage every veteran uh, to become part of the American Legion or uh, a family member to become part of our auxiliary or the Sons of the American Legion. But uh, encourage every veteran to become part of a veteran service organization. Uh, you'll, you'll benefit from it. Commander, thank you so much for getting out there. And really, as my police chief cousin used to say, for pounding a beat on this. Uh, thank you so much for doing that, sir. Uh, Dr. Pat, it's a privilege and an honor to uh, represent our, our American Legion family. So thank you for the invitation. You betcha. Hey, everybody, as we said before, go to legion.org or you can Google this. Well, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to another great good news segment, shining a light on celiac disease. Let me say that again, shining a light on celiac disease. Um, Look, over my lifetime and my healing journey, I got to understand a lot about what it means to have a gluten-free lifestyle. And this is one of those situations for me and so many of you, we don't know what we don't know about that. That's why Dr. Francisco Leon is joining me here today, celiac disease thought leader, chief scientific officer, and co-founder of Prevention Bio. Now look, where do we begin? I'll tell you where we begin. We begin by taking the end in mind. What is the state of affairs? Dr. Leon, let's talk about this because, you know, when I started my healing journey, this idea of gluten-free, this idea of, you know, having something go on like celiac, it was not known. And I'm not talking about 20 years ago. I'm talking a short time. Tell us what the state of affair is with celiac disease. Yes, Dr. Dr. Pat, you're very right. Celiac has been greatly misunderstood and and awareness has been lagging. A a lot of people think that celiac disease is an allergy to wheat. Right. And allergy to wheat exists, but that's not celiac. Allergy to wheat is very rare. It gives you hives like peanut allergy. But in this case, we're talking about the true autoimmune disease. When the immune system reacts against your body, just like in multiple sclerosis in the brain or, or arthritis in the joint, in this case, there is a trigger, which is gluten, that results in 
the destruction of your own gut by your immune system. And that autoimmune disorder requires complete avoidance of gluten in the diet, 100%, because if not, you will have complications, lifelong issues. So the gluten-free diet is so important. The problem is in America today, it's almost impossible to do a complete gluten-free diet in practice. Gluten is everywhere. Yes. I want to talk to you about that because one of the things that you discover when you step into this world is you discover there is so much you don't know. And what I mean by that, Dr. Um, Dr. Leon, what I mean by that is we don't know that when you take something off the shelf of from a grocery store, that there is something in there that we call gluten, and yet it doesn't say gluten. Um, can you talk about uh, where we are with people that have celiac disease and what their exposure is right now if they're not careful? Yeah, that's such a good observation, Dr. Pat, because as you say, not all food products are properly labeled. The celiac patients have to learn to read labels. They need to learn by heart which products, which excipient contain gluten and select the right products for them. But there are many, many challenges around this. First, what's called gluten-free might contain gluten legally. So even if a product says gluten-free, legally it could have up to 20 parts per million of gluten in it. So it may not be entirely gluten-free. Another issue is the cross-contamination. You go to a restaurant and you order gluten-free food, yep. but it's been baked or cooked in a, a pan that contains before a gluten-containing product. Now that's contaminated, it's going to make a celiac patient sick. Or just the use of cosmetics. If you have gluten-containing lipstick, most lipstick contains gluten. The toothpaste contains gluten. Wow. Licking an envelope will make you sick. Wow. Because the glue in the envelope contains gluten. Or if you take medicine, if you're taking Tylenol, if you're taking any medication over the counter or prescription medication, most of them contain gluten. So at the end of the day, in America, half of all patients with celiac disease on a gluten-free diet are getting exposed to gluten. And that's why we need additional solutions for yeah. those patients. Yeah, uh, this is so important. Let me just say this to you, and, and I would love for you to comment on it. Um, <clears throat> challenges. And let's talk about misconceptions. And I want to get right to this. You know, how many times have people said, you know, look, don't worry about it. There's only a little bit of flour in that. That's not going to hurt you. Or how about this one? I come from a, personally, I come from a very interesting medical and Mediterranean and, you know, South American background, as I recently found out. And, you know, here's the thing. You go and you order a pizza and you say, give me the gluten-free crust. But that pizza is cooked in the same oven as every other pizza. And people would, would say, well, that's okay. It's really not a lot of flour, or it's not a lot of gluten. It's not a lot. Tell us about the difference between 
having an allergy and somebody that has celiac because even not a lot could be a real problem, right? Yes. So you're right. It's very confusing because gluten can cause three different diseases. On one hand, you have the true allergy. That's easy to identify. You get hives like in a real allergy. That's very uncommon, very infrequent. The second is celiac, a true autoimmune disease where even the tiniest amount of gluten will lead to chronic, slow-burning inflammation of the gut. Then there's a third disease, something called gluten intolerance, which is also immune, but not autoimmune. You have gut symptoms, but you don't have destruction of your own organs. So here's the problem. It's very difficult to distinguish between these three diseases unless you do a blood test that distinguishes between celiac and the rest. The problem is people with gluten intolerance can tolerate a little bit of gluten. Mm -hmm. And people with celiac sometimes are put in the same bag, like, oh, you can tolerate a little bit of gluten. But that's not true. If you have true celiac, you have to be religious about avoiding gluten. And that's where patients, unfortunately, get into a lot of social interactions that go south. Um, They end up developing a lot of psychological problems, anxiety, depression, and restricting their social life. And in addition, gluten itself causes directly what's called the brain fog due to release of inflammatory mediators into the brain, from the gut to the brain. So it, it's, it's really a, a major problem, and we, we just need to work towards finding additional solutions for patients because the current status is, is not acceptable. So let's take a minute. I mean, there's a lot we're talking about here today, doctor. What, let's take a minute. How do people find out more about this? Let's talk about, you know, where people can go for help. So uh, first, try a patient support group website. They're very good patient support groups. For example, celiac.org. That would be a a place to start. And if you want to learn more about research, Mm -hmm. for example, our company, we have uh, an investigation on medication for celiac disease. Mm -hmm. We have our own website. It's called proactiveceliac.com for our clinical study. Those would be a couple websites where you can get information. I want to ask you this next question because I want to be really clear about what happens. What happens to people um, with celiac disease if they have accidental exposure to gluten? Let's talk about what their body does, how their body reacts to this, because many people don't realize it. You know, they think just like you talked about before, it's more like an allergy. But when you're talking about an autoimmune condition, that has systemic effect. Can you talk to that? I'm glad you mentioned that because you're right. It's a systemic disease, and that means it can affect any organ in the body. And physicians refer to celiac as the great chameleon Mm. because it can mimic any disease. So when gluten interacts with the gut immune system, the first thing that happens is gut inflammation. That leads to intestinal disease, 
uh, abdominal pain, diarrhea, bloating, gas, but only a fraction of patients have these symptoms. Other patients don't have gastrointestinal disease. They go straight to the systemic complications. They have skin disease, uh, rash. They can have uh, infertility, inability to conceive children. They can have neurological damage, uh, both peripheral neuropathy, so pain in the legs or um, brain disease, the brain fog. Uh, they can have anemia due to the malabsorption of nutrients. There is very frequently anemia that leads to fatigue. That's one of the most common symptoms. People with celiac disease feel tired. And when they feel tired, sometimes they think that's just normal. It's not normal. If you have celiac and you're tired, it means you're getting gluten in your diet. You shouldn't accept tiredness as part of your life. So that's when they need to do more digging, more research. Where is the gluten coming in? Um, you know, I know you've got to run um, and you're bringing a very powerful message, but you're also bringing a solution. Um, tell us a little bit about the research, because research is so important to really understand what's going on and what we can learn about this and about the clinical trials. Yeah, so I, I know you're in Seattle. Yes. And actually, two of the top scientists doing this work for, for decades are actually Seattle scientists, Dr. Wayne Suji, Dr. Eric, Eric Boots in Seattle. They researched this molecule called interleukin-15. And interleukin-15 is a bad actor in celiac. It gets produced in response to gluten consumption and it activates the immune system. So what we have is a drug that blocks interleukin-15. It's called PRV-15 because of that reason. And PRV-15 is an investigational therapy for the prevention of the activation of the immune system by gluten, which is now in, in phase 2B, one of the final stages of development. So we're hoping that our current clinical trial, the proactive study, will show the drug is safe and effective. And if that's the case, we can move into phase three. Mm. Again, thank you. I mean, look, thank you for joining me here today. But more importantly, um, thank you so much for all that you're doing. And thank you for the work that you've brought forward um, for all of us. Um, if you don't mind, please tell folks uh, one more time how they can find out more about this research and how they can get help for themselves. Yes, thanks to you, Dr. Pat, for raising awareness. And uh, for anyone interested, please go to proactiveceliac.com. Mm. Thank you so much, Dr. Leon. Thank you for bringing a level of awareness about this for people that have had to really explain to so many others that, no, it's not an allergy. This is something that affects me really deeply. And thank you for also helping take the stigma out of this for so many people that are suffering. Thank you so much for the solution. Thank you. All right, let's take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. We're back in that jazz mood, aren't we? I don't know. What happened to the rap music, Benny? So, oh my gosh. There you go. Thank you, Benny. I like it. You're welcome. I'm going to leave that in my car. 
boy, I gotta have me some baked something now. I'm telling you. Hey, everybody, welcome. I'm Dr. Pat, and welcome to our good news segment. You know, we started these segments a number of years ago, and what I have found is there are so many people doing good things in the world. You know, today, Stephen Preston is joining me here today, president and CEO, Goodwill Industries International. And this particular conversation is about what do we do when we partner for the greater good? What do we do when we partner? What happens when we rise together? What do you think it means to be part of something where we're all rising together? This is a fantastic coalition. Empowerment is one aspect of it, but more importantly, it is helping us guide people to the careers they want to do good in the world. Stephen, it's great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, look, the pandemic has caused so many people financial hardship, um, and it has caused us to rethink just about everything. Um, but what it has revealed is what's happening on a disproportionate way. And this is across the board. You know, I, in particular for me, I'm watching what's happening to women. And we're looking at how do we come together to provide something where everyone gets to rise together. Everyone gets to do what you are doing. Tell us about what hit you hardest to have you rise up to create this? Yeah, well, you know, many of your listeners may not realize that Goodwill is the largest provider of job training and job placement uh, services in the nonprofit sector. So we have job centers all around the country. We've been doing it for over 100 years. And at a time when so many people have lost their jobs mm. and need support in finding that next job, our services are particularly important. And what we found was, yeah, even though we work with over a million people a year in that journey, we believe that by bringing major corporations together to help us expand the support we give could be good for everybody. And so this coalition does a number of things. You know, it, it, it helps us provide more training, more relevant training to people around the country in areas like digital skills or IT training or, or healthcare skills. Um, it's giving us better support in the actual job search process. You know, the largest provider of job search services in the world is Indeed.com. Yep. They are now our partner. You can get right into an Indeed search on the goodwill.org website. You can get help with resume writing. You can get, you could take assessments to figure out what jobs you qualify for. Uh, and Lyft is a partner that said, hey, we're going to help you get, we're going to help people get transportation to interviews to that uh, first job until they can get back on their feet. So these are all areas that actually are expanding what we can do is goodwill by tapping into the capabilities of these large corporate partners. You know, what I love about this, and uh, Stephen, it's so great to have you here. What I love about this is that this idea of partnership is so important. When, when we decided to launch a network 11 years ago, 
Um, it was it was really founded on the backbone of creating enormous partnership with people that had a positive messages, other networks, you know, other subsidiaries, you know, reaching out to them and saying, hey, do you want to support this? I wonder why we don't partner more often. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's it's so important because everybody brings something different to the table. Yeah. And if we lock arms and do it together, we provide a much broader form of support and more support to people who need it. Yeah. I want to talk about what you're doing and how you're focusing on a disproportionate amount of our population and culture. Um, I've done a number of shows now on the impact of women in the pandemic, and I think we're just on the tip of the iceberg. And then when you really break that down to women and people of color, you really have something going on here that we need to talk more about. What did you discover? Well, in this pandemic, uh, you know, people have been disproportionately hit uh, if they're people of color or women. And it, it aligns in a lot of ways with the professions that have gotten hardest hit, hospitality, travel, many of the yeah. direct services out there. And um, not only were they hit hardest up front, but even as jobs are coming back, we're seeing that persist. And women have the added challenge uh, with the fact that they're often the primary caregiver for their children and often for their other members of their family who are having challenges. And it's been very difficult, even if a job opportunity comes up, for women to free themselves of those responsibilities. And as a result, it's so important for us to be able to support women with training and development to find jobs that are suited to their circumstances and, and, and so they can manage all these complexities because it's been very difficult for them. The other thing that's happened, um, which is which is really concerning, is that um, even before COVID, we saw a strong trend toward automation, more uh, digital skills requirement, that type of thing. That's not concerning of itself. In a lot of ways, that can be good for, for our economy. Yeah. But what we also found was people weren't getting the skills that they needed to compete for those new jobs that were emerging. So people, people in many of the groups you just mentioned were stuck in the lower paying jobs. They didn't have the skills to compete for those better jobs. And COVID has accelerated that. Companies have said, we're automating faster. We are requiring technology skills faster. We're using digital uh, faster. And, and so the jobs that are being created have, have kind of run away from people who need them. So you've got you know, these significant employers that are hiring for these skills and people who need the jobs but don't have the skills to compete for those jobs. And that's the bridge we're trying to build and have been, you know, for many years, but increasingly trying to bridge uh, through Goodwill and its coalition partners. You know, this is for me having this conversation with you and, and literally talking about rising together. I love that phrase, by the way. I love that term. Um, uh, first of all, let's let folks know how they can get involved. What's the best website to take people to and how do they get involved in what you're doing? So the, the best place uh, to get involved in the coalition is just to go to goodwill.org. Goodwill.org. That's, that's our, uh, our national website. There'll be a banner there that you can click right into. And if you want to engage in this coalition, you can go mm -hmm. in there. You can also find a tab if you're a job seeker where you can take online classes. You can find a job in your local market through our partnership with Indeed or get other support. The other thing you can do is if you want to connect with people locally and you're ready to do that uh, in the Seattle area, we've got a website, seattle.org, seattlegoodwill.org, seattlegoodwill.org. And then in the Tacoma area, goodwillwa.org. 
www.jobcenters.org. Mm -hmm. And that, there you can connect with those local uh, job centers, uh, the people who lead the local operations. Um, um, so, so either place you can go, actually, if you go to the goodball.org, you can type in, you know, your zip code and we'll get you to those places as well. So, um, uh, a lot of places to get yeah. that support. Yeah. So uh, Stephen, uh, I uncovered a dilemma and I want to talk to you about it. And then let's, so let's dive deeper into what your vision is here. Here is the little dilemma I discovered in my state. And this is not for every state, Washington state. You know, there are a lot of businesses now that are not able to bring people, people back to what we call regular employment, right? Um, but they aren't willing to bring them back to a contract position. For whatever reason, the economies of things, you know, there's so many layers to this. They need to work. So this is a temporary situation as I see it. When people and businesses get on their feet, you know, we'll go in a new direction. But the dilemma in my state is if you hire at a contract level, you're not allowed to train them. The minute you train people or try to enhance their skills, the government basically says, oh, no, they have to be regular. So what businesses do is they let them go. This has got to change. We've got to be able to train people, teach people skills if we're willing to teach them skills, groom them, regardless of what their status is. Um, and, and this is just one layer of the challenges. You all are stepping forward and saying, we're going to provide solutions here. We're going to make sure that by a particular year, we've got a vision and we've got a goal. But we really do need to rise together to make sure that we're able to give people the skill sets they need. What are you doing to do that? Yeah, well, it's a crying shame when somebody needs a job and wants a job and is ready but can't get the basic skills they need to be right. able to perform. And sometimes what we're doing is we're delivering those relevant skills. You know, yeah. uh, we we provided, uh, you know, over the last three years, nearly 200,000 people found jobs uh, after going through our digital training programs. Those are jobs that they didn't have access to before because they didn't have relevant skills. And these aren't necessarily jobs where you become an IT professional. You may need basic digital skills for any number of jobs. Exactly. So, we're trying to make sure that in those circumstances that you mentioned, if there are targeted skills that people need, they're able to get them through goodwill or through our partners. We actually have partnerships with 150 community colleges around the country where when people come to us, we can connect them with other providers if we don't. So we don't need what, you know, what is we were talking about before, one of the great yeah. things about the coalitions is you don't need to do anything, everything on yourself, but if you can come to us and we can help you find the right place, We'll do that as well. And there are a lot of people out there trying to solve these problems. You know, I love what you're doing at so many levels, because first of all, you're not saying this is a program for people 18 to 22. You're saying this is for everyone. But I especially am drawn to your awareness of what is going on with, you know, with women, but even more importantly, women of color. You know, you're not shying away from this situation, and apparently you're on the forefront of it. Were you shocked to see some of the statistics and numbers around this? Yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think this um, particular uh, disaster was unlike any we'd seen, and it had, you know, we all felt it in some way 
But when you saw the concentrated impact mm. uh, of people of color in women, it was something that just uh, was really astounding when we saw the statistics. And, you know, thankfully, you know, many people were tracking those things. So we understood it. And for us, you know, nearly 60 percent of the people we serve are people of color. And mm -hmm. we serve a lot of women, both in our traditional programs and targeted programs for women. And so um, it, it helped us realize we really needed to get back uh, in business pretty quickly. And one of the things we've done uh, in, in your neck of the woods in Seattle and Tacoma is we pivoted very quickly to online services and we pivoted very quickly to virtual services so people could reach us through their computer, get the counseling, the support, the training they needed without coming into a physical center um, because we didn't want to put them at risk. So, um, you know, it was a powerful impact on very specific populations. And we realized we had to make sure that mm. we continue to support it in a, in a creative way so people could get the help they needed. I want to jump to, I know we've got a few minutes left. I want to jump to one of my favorite conversations. And um, I've been doing a Dr. Pacho for 17 years. And back, way back, we started to really look at what we used to call the green channel. Um, we are now at a position to expand our network. And one of the channels that we are going to expand to is Green Talk, because if we're not talking about sustainability, I don't know what we're talking about. Tell me about your passion for looking at sustainable and sustainable jobs. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, you know, one of the things we don't talk enough about, frankly, <laughs> is the fact that we keep nearly five billion pounds of things out of landfills. And yeah. the other thing is the textile industry is one of the largest polluters in the world uh, and, and one of the most uh, challenging for the environment. The massive use of water, the, um, uh, the plastics that end up in our oceans, uh, the use of chemicals, it's really astounding. And fast fashion has taken that forward even more. And so, um, you know, a wonderful trend that we're seeing in our country is people's interest in buying resale, um, both because they can find interesting uh, uh, outfits and they can usually get things at a very good price and they're interested in sustainability. So as we expand, the resale economy expands. And the other thing we're doing is we're working with creative technologies on the recycling side for things that don't sell. And uh, hopefully, not too far down the road, we'll actually be a destination for people to bring things that may not qualify for resale, but we can put it into a, mm -hmm. uh, a more forward-looking, sophisticated recycling uh, channel. So we're, we're, we're huge players in the resale economy. Yeah. 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 I, okay. Look, you're here. We are, and we know we've got a partner with some of the Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies, and you've already done so much of that. Um, business leaders really need to get involved in this. And I want to ask you this question: You know, what goals have you set to say, look? these are the partners we're going to bring in. These are the partners we want to work with. And this is what we expect by the end of dot, dot, dot year. <laughs> well, we, we've, we've targeted together in this announcement to place uh, a million people in jobs uh, over the five-year period with these mm. coalition partners. I'm, I'm confident, I'm very hopeful that we'll actually beat that number. And I think the more coalition partners we can bring in, uh, the, the more impactful will be. And those coalition partners can provide uh, funding because they're large corporations. They can provide job opportunities. Uh, we're already beginning to partner with people in local markets about expanding their hiring through Goodwill. 
Uh, they can provide um, unique support that they have, like you know, Google supporting our digital skills training or indeed supporting our job placement capabilities right. because these are huge engines in these marketplaces and they're terrific partners. And so um, we, we, think, we think we'll be able to support more people getting into better jobs through these coalitions. And for this particular campaign, we've set 1 million jobs as, as our number. Yeah, I'm so impressed by what Indeed has been able to do in such a short period of time. Um, you know, for us, they're one of our go-tos, you know, for uh, employment. We have an opening right now. Actually, we have two. Um, I want to thank you for joining me here today. I'd like to know your personal message and, again, that website. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you so much. Uh, goodwill.org to find out about rising together, to find a job, to get skills. And you can actually type in your zip code and that'll get you to the services in your local market or go directly to Seattle or goodwill.org or goodwillwa.org. And I encourage all of you to please look at this, whether it's for yourself or for another person, please pay this forward. Stephen, thank you so much for all you're doing. Thank you so much. All right, let's take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. Your inspiration all day on transformationtalkradio.com. Hey everyone, welcome. Dr. Hillary Norton joining me here today, rheumatologist. Dr. Norton, thank you so much for today. Let's start with you. The question Could my back pain be something more? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Pat. As you know, back pain is common, and most people have back pain at some point in their lives. But we are talking about something called AXPA, which is an inflammatory arthritis of the spine. So AXPA is a chronic inflammatory disease. Left untreated, it can cause irreversible damage to the spine. This is different than common mechanical back pain. This pain usually begins when people are in their 20s or even earlier, and this never goes away because it's a chronic disease. So symptoms may come and go early on, but they, they progress. So this kind of inflammatory back pain gets better with activity, and it gets worse with rest. So people will have pain at night, often in the second half of the night, even causing you to have to get up out of bed and walk around. There's a lot of morning sickness. Fatigue is very common with this disease. And we think that at least 1.7 million people have this, although it's underdiagnosed and many people go through years of delay in diagnosis. And that's why Jill and I are collaborating with Novartis to try to raise awareness for this disease. Uh, absolutely. It's one of the questions I was going to ask you because it's the kind of thing that you could see being seriously underrepresented in statistics. It is. We are both patients and we both mm. experience this common delay in diagnosis. So we're very passionate about getting the word out so that other patients don't have this long delay in diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're working on this monster pain in the AS.com campaign. There's a website where people can go and they can take a three-minute quiz to find out if their back pain is inflammatory. And if it is, they can get connected with a rheumatologist. I love that you're talking about that. Thank you, doctor. I want to go to you, Jill, for a minute. Um, Jill, one of the things that I want to talk with you about is we are busy, busy, busy. But in the busyness, did you ever think that there was something more to your back pain? How did this journey begin for you? So my journey really started, Dr. Pat, uh, 
as a teenager, I had some unexplained back pain, you know, when you're 18 years old and throw your back out, it's common. That continued through my 20s and 30s um, and became more severe as time went on. It really hit a tipping point in 2011. Uh, at the time, I was working full-time, traveling a lot for work, kind of being a busy mom, right? I had two small children. And uh, one morning, I slipped on ice and injured my back and neck. And from there, I just never got better, and it got more severe. I saw multiple providers. I saw orthopedists, physical therapists, naturopaths. I was diagnosed at one point with fibromyalgia. And by then, I was very, I was severely in pain. Um, I was quit my job. I uh, was not able to pick up my children. So I had no choice but to address it. I finally, I was referred to a rheumatologist and she did a full workup, you know, medical history, blood work. And that was the game changer for me. It's so important to begin a treatment plan and understand the disease and then start to take my life back. And boy, now you're an advocate. That's that, that's what I love about the pay it forward part of what both of you are doing. Now you're an advocate. You are a champion of getting information so people know what to do. Dr. Hillary, isn't that so important to help people understand, to keep asking the question so they get to the right place? Absolutely. It's so important to um, be educated and informed and, and keep pushing for a diagnosis, which is why we are so passionate about this campaign and about getting the word out there that this may be inflammatory vaccine, which is a treatable condition and left untreated, it may cause irreversible damage. There are many people out there who have not been diagnosed. So we encourage people to go to the website, get some information and get connected with a rheumatologist. Because we're talking, you know, today with Dr. Hillary Norton and Jill, two people that are champions to get this level of awareness out, but up close and personal with this disease. But yet at the same time, if you only knew the questions to ask, if you only knew, well, maybe I should go see a rheumatologist, right? I mean, for each of you, how much of a difference would that make if your message got out to people? Jill, with you first. Wow. So Axe is something that, you know, can be a, for some people, seven to 10 years or more. Uh, I think ideally for me, I, I'm energized by giving other people courage to get their own health and get a diagnosis. Uh, it is so important to take care of ourselves. And yeah, in our 20s and 30s, we don't think it's anything. It's so important. It can, it can change tomorrow, right? And it, the quiz at monsterpaininthas.com uh, takes about three minutes of your life. And I think it can be a game changer for people. I would, out of this, uh, I would love to see or know that someone was able to get a diagnosis or understand what was going on. And I just want to say this again. It, doctor, I want to ask you this question. Um, is this something that perhaps can show up in an x-ray? No, it's very relevant. Um, you know, we know that NRXPA, which is the form that doesn't show up on x-ray, can potentially turn into AS, which does show up on an x-ray. So if left untreated for a long time, it can certainly show up on x-ray. However, it's important to recognize that for a group of patients, their NRXPA may never progress to x-ray damage. And so we have to just be very cautious and have a high suspicion with a clinical diagnosis. And we have to recognize the characteristics of inflammatory back pain to be able to make a correct diagnosis. And let's get back to the blood work for a minute. Um, you know, blood work is extremely important. Are there questions that folks should ask about the blood work? 
Well, we generally do a test for a gene called HLA-B27. This has to be interpreted um, in the right context. It varies based on ethnicity, so we, we have to interpret that. We will check some other blood tests um, as well at the time. But HLA-B27 in the right context can really mm-hmm. be helpful in terms of the diagnosis. Where do we, where are men fit in in this conversation? How common is it, men versus women? What should we know about this? Well, we traditionally thought this was a disease of men. Even when, when I was in training, that's what we were taught. And women have historically been overlooked and underdiagnosed. Now that we recognize that there is the form called NRXFA, we are identifying many more women, and we think it's probably equal. Men and women are both getting this disease. Men are more mm-hmm. likely to get AS with radiographic damage, but of course, women can get that form as well. You know, there's so much about this, but I think the main point here is we've got to get people information and help. Jill, you are also active in speaking with people. You're on the board. Tell us about how you went from pain to being somebody that is in the world of champion advocate and taking your time to do this. So that's a good question. I think a lot of it was started when I started feeling better. It took me a while after I started a treatment plan. And then I, I woke up one morning in the middle of the night and I, I had spent my whole career looking at how processes and systems work in factories. And I, it hit me that I wasn't looking at my body that way. Uh, and when I started looking at my body as a system and really treating it in every area, and I'll just say, you know, mind, body, soul, or however you want to define it, um, that started to change things for me. And at that point, I was on a medication, had a great treatment plan, and was doing all these other things, um, and started to get my life back. Uh, today, I feel better than I did 20 years ago. And what it did was uh, it inspired me to start working with uh, Spondylitis Association of America in a support group role and starting to talk to people who were newly diagnosed or just needed to be heard. And I did I do some other work talking with newly diagnosed patients for another avenue. And of course, I'm here to talk about my experience. Um, but eventually, I, I was offered a the opportunity to be part of the board of directors, Spondylitis Association of America, and uh, that is quite an honor because you get to spend some time looking at starting and changing the course of the disease. I I also get energized by being able to help other people and think that maybe what we're doing today with Novartis is is going to change somebody's life. And if if we don't get out of bed in the morning for that, I don't know what the reason to get out in the morning is. Uh, so yeah, I just I really enjoy having the opportunity. I've been very lucky uh, in terms of the disease course for me, and I just want to be able to pay it forward and help someone else get there quicker. I got to talk to you. This interview is courtesy of Novartis, and we need to really make sure we say that. Absolutely, and I would just encourage people to go to monsterpaininthees.com for more information. Um, this can really help you to get the correct diagnosis. Thank you both. But I want to say to both of you, don't give up the fight. Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. 